We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 today. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to to grab those. But if you don't have your Bibles, please uh, take one of the ones in the pews. You can use those. And if you don't have one that you own yourself, there are some black ones as you walk out that you can take with you. But we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Today, what I want to talk about, how this all comes together. How does this all come together? Elders, deacons, and us, how does it all come together? And what I want us to understand today is that the purpose of God's household is to uphold the truth of Jesus Christ and proclaim his truth out into the world. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you become part of God's household spiritually. But we're also part of God's household locally by being part of his household at a local church. So yes, you're part of God's household, this great spiritual body of Christians for 2,000 years and the Old Testament saints as well. But you're also called to be part of a household uh, in a local church and there's a certain way to behave under God's roof. And so as we hold fast to the truth of Jesus Christ, we want to make sure we're proclaiming that into the world, which is what Paul calls the mystery of godliness. So I have two points today. I just want to talk about first the household of God, and I want to talk about the mystery of godliness. And this will help us see how all this elder and deacon stuff comes together. So look at the household of God. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. This is Paul speaking. He says, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. God has rules for how his church should behave as his household. And 1 Timothy is is written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, as a public letter to be seen by everyone, to be read by everyone, to this young pastor, church planner, Timothy. And he tells Timothy why he's writing to him. He says that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. What's that mean? Every parent, your parents, me as a parent, has probably said to their kids at one point or another, as long as you live under my roof, you follow my what? My rules. There are certain rules. As long as we're living under God's roof, there are certain rules for living under his house, being part of his household. So if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be part of God's house. A necessary part of your Christian walk is to be part of one of his households, a local church. So you can't say you're part of the family if you never swing by and see dad. And you never hang out with the family. 
You can't say you're part of God's household if you're not part of a church. But you also, it's also necessary that that household, that church behaves a certain way. And we see that earlier in chapter 3. How Paul says how we're supposed to behave. Look at verse Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. And then verse 12. An elder must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So we have this household idea. And Paul pulls in the elder's household. And then he talks about the deacon's household. Let each deacon be husband of one wife. And we talked about how uh, the terms there last week, that wife is just uh, for when it talks about the wives of deacons, the word is actually just women. But every deacon is supposed to manage his children and their households well. You have this idea of household. Now, two times Paul speaks of the way households should run. And it's when he speaks about, in earlier in chapter 3, when he speaks about the households of elders and deacons. And he specifically compares these households, but particularly the household of elders to the household of God. He says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If he can't manage his own household, how is he going to care for God's household? So Denny Burke, when he reflects on this, he says, just as a household has a certain order to it, with husbands leading and wives helping and children obeying, so also God's household has a certain order to it. And that order involves qualified elders leading, qualified deacons serving, and a believing congregation holding fast to the mystery of godliness. So every church should be made up of men of compelling character who spiritually lead the church, which we call elders, or persons of character, who we talked about last week, who serve God by physically serving others, deacons. But also a believing congregation that supports those leaders and is on mission with those leaders. And all of us together are keeping our eyes on Jesus and we're taking up our crosses and following him. Just like there are rules at your house or at the house you grew up in, there are rules, ways to behave if you're going to be part of God's household. Now, every parent also knows that kids don't always understand that these rules exist for reasons that they may not understand. Parents have reasons for why our children need to behave a certain way. Sometimes you do just have to say, because I'm dad and I said so. And we have those things in the Bible. Right? We've t- I've talked about some, a number of you about this before. How is God sovereign and then I'm supposed to pray? And my typical answer is like, because dad said so. That's it. God, dad said to pray, so we pray. And other times we explain rules to our kids. And fortunately in this circumstance, God doesn't just say, because I said so. 
He says, let me tell you why these rules exist. So when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, which won't be on the screen, what Paul says is that the reason that the church needs to behave in this way is to protect itself from false teaching. Any teaching that is different than the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death you deserve to die and rose again from the dead so that you could have life and life everlasting and you could be part of the family and household of God and be adopted into his house. And one day he will come and we'll have a great banquet. We have Mr. Softy today, but one day it's going to be Mr. Softy in every food truck you can imagine in heaven because of what Jesus has done for you. Any teaching that's different than that that adds things or takes away things, is false teaching. And Paul's saying there's people in your church who are trying to add things to the gospel. So that's why Paul says the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. See, the church props up the truth of the gospel in the world. In terms of a pillar, right, if you think about pillars, you might think of the great pantheon in Rome, how all these pillars hold up the roof of the building. But what's a buttress? We don't use that word that often, but it's a foundation. Pillars are of no use if you don't have a foundation. But both the pillars and the foundation of the pantheon work together to hold up the entire building God's household, local, the local church led by qualified, ser- qualified elders, served by qualified deacons and a believing congregation in support and on mission. That church, God's household, its goal, its purpose, its mission is to hold up, to prop up like pillars and a foundation, the truth of the gospel in our world. And not only do we have that task, which is a noble task and it's a difficult task, but the church also has the privilege of being the dwelling of the living God. Did you notice Paul says that? It's the household of God. This is the church of the living God. There's certain ways to behave. Qualified elders leading, qualified deacons serving, believing congregation in support and mission. We do all that in order to prop up God's truth and we have the privilege of being part of God's household and we have the privilege together of being the dwelling of the living God. If I knew, sit with me for a moment here, if I knew my favorite celebrity or athlete, like if I knew like, Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, we're going to be here this morning. Or my favorite author, right, if you read books, your favorite author comes. Man, they're going to be at church that morning? I would be excited. I would be thrilled, joyful, a little nervous, absolutely. Like Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith are here. But if I truly believed that Liberty Northeast was the dwelling of the living God, I'd be more excited to be here. I'd be less glum. I'd be more joyful. I would raise up my hands. I would sing out loud. The responses in the call to worship, I would shout them out. 
this gathering would be more of a priority for, for me. It's not that our celebrity and our superstars are showing up once a year. Our celebrity superstar, God of the, li- the living God of the universe, shows up every Sunday. Every Sunday. And what do I do? It's raining. I don't feel like going to church today. Oh, it's really sunny out. I don't feel like going to church today. Like we need a little bit more resilience than that, guys. Oh, it's going to be over 80 today? I'm going to head to the beach. Let's do it. Like if I actually believed that God was going to be here every day, I'd be looking at for him to work in people's lives. I'd be tearing up watching people sing. I'd be coming to communion, and I'd be just so grateful for the act that Jesus died for me. And i come with reverence too. A little bit nervous because God's here. I wouldn't be scanning Instagram. Because God's here. And I find being a part of this worth everything else that it costs me. Because the household of the living God, what it does is it exposes the world's falsehood and provides satisfaction for souls. And I and you get to be part of that. The truth of the living God exposes the world's falsehood. Philip Jensen, who does a great job on 1 Timothy, he says, if the world can't find truth in a church, where can they find it? And it's God's house. It's not my house. So I don't get to tell the church what it's supposed to be about. You don't get to tell the church what it's supposed to be about. God does. It's his house. And God says his house is supposed to be the place that upholds truth in a world that's full of falsehood. And so elders and pastors are called by God to keep falsehood from entering into the church. Why? Because God lives here. And the living God drives out falsehood and all the dead, lifeless idols that stand behind them. So if you're here today and you're suffering from falsehood, like everything you believe has let you down, and you're seeking truth, this is the place for you. And that should be every one of us. See, the living God is here, and he wants to remove the idols from your life so that you too can believe in him, the living God, and be part of his household. And maybe you're like this, maybe you're you're like me, and you're like, look, like, bro, like, I'm a modern guy. Like, we don't believe in these, like, wooden gods and these, like, gold idols. Like, that's not, like, a thing. So this doesn't apply to me. Or maybe you're a Christian, you're like, now it's time to tune out because he's talking to all the idol worshipers. He's not talking to me. But this is about you. This is about me. See, idols aren't just made of gold or stone or silver or wood. Idols are anything that captivates your heart other than God. They're the very thing that if you lost it, you didn't have it anymore, life wouldn't be worth living. The thing that if you couldn't get to do anymore, you'd be crushed. So what is that for you? 
Is that your kids? Do you feel an endless need to talk about them or boast about them? Because unless they're doing something that I can brag about, life's not worth living. What about your spouse? Do you believe you can't, or a spouse, do you believe you can't be happy until you find one? That's an idol. You're not looking for a spouse, you're looking for an idol. Or would you feel like life isn't worth living because unless your spouse is around and giving you what you want, it's just not worth it anymore. Week in and week out, you hear me challenge this because it captivates so many hearts in our culture right now. But what about your political ideologies? Has a certain politician or party or ideology captivated your heart? Do you feel like life isn't worth living until our political leaders change? Would you feel like life isn't worth living if your guy wasn't in charge? What about productivity? Like maybe it's not these things like you can look at, but it's things that are deeper into our hearts like productivity. Do you feel like life isn't worth living unless you're working on something? What about control? Do you feel like life isn't worth living unless you can have your way? Like unless I can have my way? What's the point? See, the living God reveals the, that finding worth in these things is lifeless, dead, and empty. So we'll end, we'll be, end up becoming lifeless, dead inside, and empty. God knows they're lifeless, dead, and empty, and he knows if you follow those things and you go after those things, you'll end up lifeless, dead, and empty. If politicians lose, we get crushed. If we can't stop working, we'll never rest in time to recover in order to work again. And what happens is we double down and we just work more and so we can get rest and then we become more stressed and more exhausted. And we're too busy to find rest. See the cycle that happens? Our kids fail in school or they don't make the team. That coach plays favorites. Psh. Wow. Wow. That teacher hates my kid. Can't believe them. Got to find somebody to blame. You never get married or your spouse leaves you. What will happen is being by yourself will burden you with shame of being alone. If that's your idol, you'll feel shame because you're alone. Because the world has told you that you're somehow a lesser person because you aren't married. Or you're not sleeping with someone. And you'll fall into loneliness. Real loneliness. If your spouse is the person that fulfills you in that way. If your spouse is your God, they leave you. You'll end up experiencing deep loneliness. If you don't get your way, you'll whine and complain. And then, that no one, and then what happens is no one will want to be around you because you're always controlling them. And then when you don't get your way, you whine and complain. So everybody's just like, I'm just not going to deal with Evan anymore. He's a grump. And you'll become cynical and bitter towards everyone because they just don't see how great you are. And how if you ran their lives, how perfect it would be. Behind every falsehood, as long as my guy's in charge, the world will be all right. 
or just one more email and then I can relax. Or if the coach started my kid, we would have won. Or if I could just find someone to share my life with, I'll stop feeling lonely. Or if I could always get my way, everybody's lives would be better. Behind every falsehood is a lifeless, dead, empty God who doesn't exist so can offer you nothing. And you'll end up never satisfied, chasing after lifeless, dead, empty gods that you'll never find. And you'll fall deeper and deeper and deeper into idolatry. But the living God will give you the satisfaction you're looking for. Look how about Psalm 42 talks about the living God. It says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Here David talks about thirst, the thirst of the soul, a thirst that can only be quenched and satisfied in the living God. So I ask you, does your soul thirst? Do you feel it deep within your bones, deep in your stomach, that your whole body just feels that thirst, that something's missing? Deep within you that there's an emptiness there. Have you tried everything the world has to offer to fulfill you? Drugs, alcohol, sex, money, power, prestige. Have you tried it all and been left wanting? And if you feel it deep within you, or you've tried it all and you can't find satisfaction, your soul is thirsty. And if the church as God's household can't offer the truth of the, of God, of the living God, who exposes all falsehood, no one will ever find satisfaction for their souls. And they'll continue to search and they'll continue to thirst if they can't find satisfaction in a place like this for their souls, where are they going to get it? So the question is, but how could we who also fall for idols time and time again, we who are searching and thirsting, offer this kind of satisfaction to the world? And that's where Paul talks about the mystery of godliness. Look at 1 Timothy 3.16. He says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So what's the mystery of godliness? See, too often we see godliness as behavior, as something we do. Philip Jensen says that's goodliness, not godliness. We, so what we do is we see godliness as being a good person, being a moral person. But that almost hits the mark, but it's just a little bit off. See, godliness is really that word is religion. And Bible-believing Christians typically don't like the word religion. But I'm sorry to tell you, it's in the Bible. Or piety or devotion. This is our devotion to God, but it's a mystery and that word is really secret. It's something that's hidden until you're told what it is. Like someone who got you a gift. And instead of wrapping it, they hide it behind their back. It's a secret. Until they pull it out from behind their back and they give it to you. Then you know what it is. 
So there's a secret about our devotion to God, something that's been hidden that we're finally being told about. And what's that secret? It's a secret that it's all about Jesus and his accomplishments, not us and our accomplishments. See, for Paul, the great secret hidden from all time but now revealed is that Jesus died and rose again from the dead so that Jew and Gentile can be part of God's household. That's what Ephesians 2 is talking about. Everyone searching, hurting, seeking, lost, all those hearts that are captivated by lifeless, dead, and empty idols, you and me, the secret is that because of Jesus' accomplishments, not yours, you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to work your way up to it. You don't finally need to answer that one email to get rest. Jesus is that rest. Jesus is the one who's accomplished everything, and you can be part of it. You can be part of the household where that's happening, where it all is rested. It's already finished. It's already done. You don't have to be a good church member. Jesus was good enough for you. And we as God's household, we rest in the finished work of Jesus. And the household we find ourselves in, the household that behaves in a certain order, qualified elders leading, qualified deacons serving, and a believing congregation in support and on mission, enjoying the privileges as the church of the living God and sharing in the responsibility of being a pillar and buttress of truth, all of that, this huge noble task, this huge noble purpose, is all built on what Jesus has done. None of it is built on what you and I have done and will do. So Paul takes this ancient creed, I'm sorry to tell you creeds are in the Bible, and it reminds Timothy of what Christ has done what he's achieved. He was resurrected in the flesh. He sent the Holy Spirit. What he's revealed, he's shown himself as the resurrected Lord to the spiritual world, to the angels. And his gospel is proclaimed to the nation, to the Gentiles. I don't know all your backgrounds, but most of us, I'm pretty sure, are Gentiles. That happened. You're here because Jesus did this great thing. Some of us have Jewish heritage. Most of us don't. And so what Jesus achieved, what he revealed, but also what he's resulted, many have believed in him. And he's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's all about what God in Christ has already done. And if we see ourselves as the household of God and we believe the living God is here along with his truth, like God is here and his truth is here and we realize that all God has done in Christ already, we will want to be here ourselves and we'll want to invite more people to come in. Like if you truly believed that God was here and that his truth would be told to your friends and neighbors, you'd invite them, wouldn't you? But it's somehow they're going to figure it out later? Who's going to tell them if you don't? Amen. To have their falsehood exposed, 
to have their souls satisfied in Jesus' finished work. And we would want to be a place that's welcoming. We would want to make sure it's not falling apart or in need of repair. We would want to use our gifts to care for God's household, for people, and for even for the space. And we would want to make sure that we have men of compelling character leading us spiritually, and we want to make sure that we have persons of character serving God by serving others. And then we all would want to support them through prayer, love, and submission to their oversight. And we want to pick up our crosses, all of us together, and join on mission for our city, region, and our world. Today, Laura did a nice thing and propped open the front door, but I don't know if you noticed that the doors of the church are red. It's an ancient tradition to paint the doors red. Because when we enter, it's to remind us that we enter into God's household spiritually through the blood of Christ. Every time you walk through those red doors, remember that you've been brought into this household, which is part of God's household, through one person's work, Jesus. The finished work of Jesus. And when we're acting as the household of God locally and holding on to the mystery of godliness, we welcome all those through the red doors to come through the blood of Christ. So there's an ancient saying, saying of welcome that many have said before. To all who are spiritually weak, sorry, weary and seek rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who struggle and desire victory. To all who sin and need a savior. To all who are strangers and want fellowship. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to whoever will come, this church opens wide her doors, red doors, and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, upholding the truth of Jesus doesn't mean saying to the world, we're right, you're wrong as so many Christians do. But to apply the truth of Jesus in all areas of our lives, offering the truth of Jesus to help expose falsehood, to quench the thirst of every soul, qualified elders lead in God's household by holding off that falsehood, entering in. And they hold it off through prayer and preaching. And being a place for people to find God's truth in a world of falsehood. Qualified deacons care for those who enter in. Broken, beaten up, thirsty, and looking for rest for their souls. And a believing congregation, you support them through prayer. And by being the very presence of Jesus for Northeast Philadelphia. And all of this rests, not on David, Clayton, me, John and Sir Lynn, and not on you. All of it rests on Jesus' accomplishments and what he's already done for us. So we can all say to everyone, come, enter into God's household, the dwelling of the living God, through the blood of Jesus. Hear the truth Repent of all falsehood. Cling to the finished work of Jesus on your behalf and find satisfaction for your souls.
Let's pray. Hey, if you're here today and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus or you've been holding out for some reason, you're just checking out this Jesus guy for the first time, you've never actually jumped in with both feet into the deep end of the pool, I invite you to give your life over to Jesus. You're not going to find satisfaction and rest anywhere else but in him. So give your life over to him. Just say, Jesus, I repent of all of my falsehood. Forgive me. I trust in your finished work for me. And Father, as we vote on elders and deacons today, as we want to be your household and behave the correct way, help us to remember ultimately that we're imperfect people who chase after idols, but Jesus is the perfect one who's accomplished so much, everything we would ever need for life and life everlasting. So we thank you for him. We praise him, the one who reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.